0: Amen. Thanks, Jordan. Soul Company, it's so good to be here with you guys tonight. Yeah, just a couple of years ago, I was a student and just, I mean, I miss being here. You All are like my people. So it's so good. Thanks for welcoming me in and uh, I'm going to be at the fall retreat tomorrow. So uh, come on, I'll see you guys there and for a bit in the morning. So um, just a little bit more about me. just want to show you guys the best stuff. So uh Let's get a picture of my family up there. The best part of my life next to Jesus. So there's Michaela and our four-month-old daughter Adeline. Michaela's great. She's here with us tonight. Give her a round of applause. She's the best. She's lovely. She's fun. She's funny. And she laughs at my dad jokes, which is really important, guys. <laughs> if she did it. I would, uh, yeah, I'd be sad man, sad man. Um, and Adeline, man, she's been a joy to our lives. She is the cutest baby, baby ever, right? We have another picture. Yep. A little bit zoomer in. That, the only answer to my question was yes, she is the cutest baby ever, right? So um, it's, it's fun, man. Love love our, our little daughter and, um, you can probably tell that I told dad jokes before we had a daughter, so I'm just thankful to God that he provided us a daughter, so I have an excuse now, because uh, before they were just just lame for no apparent reason, so um, we're good now, though, but I'm, I'm stoked to be here with you all tonight. Um, guys, I just, I love Jesus, and I love the Bible. Um, I've been radically changed by Jesus and his word, and so it's just, a, it's an honor to be here tonight. Uh, Just for a little bit more of that, for me personally, and I hope that we all get to encounter Jesus tonight through his word. We're in the series, Parables, Life-Changing Lessons, so let's get some more of that tonight, right? Um, Open up your Bible apps and turn your pages to Luke 10, 25 through 37. Once you guys get there, the title of the parable is probably going to jump out to you. The Good Samaritan. So if, if you grew up in church, you probably drew up some pictures and colored in some different different pictures for the Good Samaritan. You might have those kind of scorched in your memory. But even if you didn't grow up in the church, even if you aren't really into the Bible and Jesus, you're just kind of feeling stuff out tonight, you, you know what a Good Samaritan is, you know. It's, it's a good person, you know, someone that's helpful to other people. And so we might be expecting tonight, man, this is just going to be, you know, this guy's going to get up here and talk about being a better person. Uh, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be interested in that. I think there's plenty of people talking about being a better person and, you know, self-help, moralistic stuff, and I'm just not, not interested in that. And I'm convinced that the parable's not even about that. Um, I think it's about something so much deeper and richer. It's actually about eternal life. And so when I say eternal life, the Bible doesn't talk about it like just the, the length of life, you know, immortality, the search for the fountain of youth, or, you know, if science can just figure out how to break into our genes so that we can live forever. It's not about that. It's about the, the quality of life. It's about a life of of lo- love, joy, peace, and wholeness as a part of God's kingdom. It's and it starts now, but the Bible talks about it like it starts now, but it goes on forever. So there is quantity of life there, but it's an incredible, rich life. The best parts of life that we experience now, but with Jesus in a, in a world that's sinless and redeemed and perfect. And I, I, Man, that sounds so much better than just thinking about living forever right now. Because we know how broken the world is, Right. We've been feeling it, especially these last couple years. The division, the hate, the, the sickness, the death. I can't imagine living for eternity in that. But eternal life is about life with Jesus and bliss forever. But not everyone gets that kind of life. We're going to see that there's something required to inherit eternal life. there. Not everyone just gets it right off the bat. How? How do you get it? Well, we'll see what Jesus has to say about that tonight Um, in this parable. We're going to jump into Luke 10, 25, the first verse. And here the the author, Luke, he's recording a scene where Jesus is talking to a group of Jewish people. And a, a dude jumps up and interrupts him. So let's jump into the first verse. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying teacher what shall i do to inherit eternal life okay so this guy stands up and he's trying to test jesus he's wanting to get under his skin and the word lawyer might jump out to you like what is this guy like is he trying to sue jesus like what what is he doing no a lawyer here is a guy that's into the old testament law he knows his stuff in the old testament law and so Basically, he's trying to get at Jesus and see, okay, what do you believe about this really important truth that our people believe in? He's kind of like those news reporters that are asking politicians that one question about their agenda just to like twist it up in a soundbite and make them look bad. You know, he's just trying to just make Jesus say something strange and out there so he can write him off as a teacher so he doesn't have to worry about what Jesus says. Let's check out verse 26. He said to him, Jesus said to the lawyer, What is written in the law? How do you read it? You can kind of get the sense Jesus feels out where this guy is going. He knows, you know, you're trying to trick me now. So he just turns it back on him. You're a lawyer. You know the Old Testament law. You tell me. What does the law say about it? How do you read it? Verses 27 and 28. And the lawyer said, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus, to the lawyer, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Cool, so the lawyer basically found out that what he thought was right, you know, he's good to go. If I can love God with everything that I have, all my mental power, all my physical strength, my, my emotions, my affections, I'm good, you know? I can inherit eternal life. Oh yeah, and then I have to also love people the way that I care about myself. I, the, the amount of time I spend thinking about my needs, my interests, like I need to care about other people like that too. Sweet, he's good to go. Next verse. But he desiring to justify himself. Wait, Jesus just agreed with the lawyer, and now he's trying to justify himself. So we know the the lawyer is kind of set back on his heels here. He's not, this conversation isn't going the way that he thought it would, not the way he planned. But why? I mean, Jesus agreed with him. The problem is that the guy just kind of gave his thoughts, his theory, his doctrine about how to inherit eternal life. Jesus agreed with that, but he's calling out the guy's action. Hey, you can't just believe these things. You actually have to do them. You can't just say the right things and believe these facts to inherit eternal life. You actually have to be about them. And that's why the Jesus or why the lawyer is on defense. He knows that he might not be kind of Fill in the the quota here for inheriting eternal life. So he asks a question to kind of qualify it a bit. So let's read verse 29 in its entirety now. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You can kind of imagine what the lawyer is going through right now. He's thinking, He either believes he can fulfill the first command, love the Lord your God with all. He is, which would be surprising because I don't know anybody that actually thinks they can do that. But maybe he does, or he realizes he can't, and he's trying to think through, okay, yeah, but I can do the second one, right? I can love my neighbor as myself, but I need to make sure that Jesus agrees with me who my neighbor is. So I'm going to check with him who's my neighbor. And the reason he does that is because rabbis at the time they taught that there were there was like an in-crowd and an out-crowd. There were our people and then there's those people. So our our people are our neighbors. They're they're Jewish people. They're law-abiding Jews. They know they love our God. They worship our God the way we know is right. Those are the people that you are required to love as yourself. And then there's those people. There's tax collectors, prostitutes, criminals, Samaritans and Gentiles. Gentiles are people that aren't Jewish, just non-Jews. Those people, they're sinners, okay? They're the outcasts. We don't have to worry about them, okay? They're not, they're not actually neighbors, they're, they're more our enemies. So we got our, we got our neighbors, we got our enemies, outsiders. You're required to love the people that are like you. You're not required to love the people that aren't. It's pretty convenient, right? (laughs) Like, yeah, okay, that really simplifies things and we narrow down the list of the people that we're actually required to care about. A Jew could actually, at at this time, a Jewish person was free to just not care for the needs of sinners at all and they were still fulfilling the requirement of the law. They were still doing what you need to do to inherit eternal life, you know? Even though they're not caring for these people. Now, that's, that's pretty messed up. I mean, if we believe that, the Bible says that the, God is a God of love, and God's people should be like their God. And so that doesn't look like the kind of love that should be God, God's people should be like, right? But if we're real about ourselves, if we're honest, we kind of do the same thing, right? We have a list of those people that we just can't stand. We struggle with the ones that, you know, their beliefs how can they believe that? How can they think that way? That just throws me off. That's ridiculous. That's wrong. They live in ways we don't understand, and they do, they do those things. I'm like, I just can't follow that. That's just not acceptable. They vote in ways that we think should be condemned. They advocate for causes that we don't agree with. Every side, no matter who you are, puts fingers at the other. You're those people. I can't hang with you. I can't love you. We all do it. And many times religious people, you know, people that come, maybe even come here, people that profess the name of Jesus, We're some of the worst when it comes to this. We love the people that think like us, but just often allow ourselves to hate the people that we disagree with. I think we all track with the idea, man, our world could use a lot more love and if we could love our neighbors as ourselves, the world would be better off. But we get behind the idea of loving our neighbors as ourselves when we think, I'm loving my people. I want people to love me, right? <laughs> I want people to to care for me, and I'll care for my people. But those people, no. We're all guilty of that kind of division and breakdown, but and the lawyer is essentially asking Jesus, is that okay to love along those lines that we've created? So Jesus answers his question with the parable of the Good Samaritan. We'll read the first few verses. Starting in verse 30. Jesus replied, so he's responding to the question, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. All right, so what's going on here? There's a guy that is just minding his own business probably walking home from Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the place of the temple. He might have just been worshiping God. He's a, he's a law-abiding Jewish man, probably. And he falls prey to some robbers. They beat him up. They take all his stuff, and they leave him on the side of the road, half dead. So this is setting up that Jesus is kind of showing, like, here's a victim. Here's a, here's a neighbor. And so someone's going to love the neighbor, right? a priest walks up notice that G- jesus says now by chance like this is kind of this is kind of surprising that a priest walks by this guy a priest walks up and the crowd the the crowd of jewish people they're expecting this priest he's obligated to help he's one of the people that knows the law of god he is he's in charge of worshiping god helping people at the temple He's going to help, right? But he doesn't. He, like, sees the guy in need and just goes out of his way, other side of the road, and ditches him. And so then a Levite comes up. This is another person that works in the temple. They do lesser, more, more grunt-level stuff, but they're still surrounded by people worshiping their God. You know, he, another person that should be an example of loving thy neighbor And he does the exact same thing. The exact same thing. Why would they do that? I mean, think about it. Why do people not help others in need? One word. Excuses, right? You can kind of imagine it even as the story plays out. Like you think the priest is walking up, oh, you know, there's someone more equipped that will come by later to help this guy out. I'm not really the the man up for the job to take care of this guy. Or another one would be, I'm exhausted. I've just been doing all this work for God. I need to get home to Jericho. I need to rest. You know, I need some me time. It's time for me to veg out. I can't do this. Obviously, they vegged out back then, right? Uh, Or maybe they thought, he's probably already dead, you know, I can hear him groaning, but he's probably already dead. And if I touch him, if I go over there and help this guy, that's gonna put me, that's really gonna inconvenience me. Because if a, if a priest touched someone that was, was bloodied and, and dead, if they were dead, that made them ritually unclean. They weren't able to then just go off and do their normal thing. They'd have to go through all these steps, take all this time to get back to normal so they they could go on to their lives. So this would have been a major inconvenience for the priest and the Levite if they had gone to help this guy out. So they didn't. Jesus shows, skip something, the usual examples of loving their neighbors as themselves were examples of loving themselves over their neighbors. They knew what was required of them. They knew what God's law said they ought to do. And they were people that, they looked the part. But they ignored it. They just said, no. Whatever their reason, whatever their excuses. They were not loving their neighbors as themselves. The inconvenience, the sacrifice, the focusing on another's needs, all were just too much for them. Let's keep reading. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, where the victim was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Now that's a really different reaction already, right? The other guys, they just walk around the guy and leave. The Samaritan stops and he sees him. He sees a man in need of help. And so he's moved. Like, his heart is moved to go help him. So he does. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Oil was used to soothe people's wounds, and, and wine was used to, like, keep it from infection. So he's, he's taking stuff that he's carrying on this journey And he's helping the guy out. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, that's about two days' wages, you know, think like a few hundred dollars, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? It's Jesus' question. The lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So obviously the Samaritan here is the picture of neighborly love, right? He is, he's showing this is what you do. This is how you do it. There was sacrifice involved. He, he gave of his stuff. He gave of his money. He, his journey was probably shook out of whack. You know, he's on a mission. Maybe he was going to sell something. I don't know. But it was inconvenient. It was messy the way that he helped. The guy's got to be covered in blood, covered in filth. He had to pick him up to put him on his animal, so he's probably covered now. It was sacrificial and then faithful. He stuck by the guy. He took him to the inn, took care of him there, and then said, you know, if he needs anything else, I'll be back. I'll help him out. Did you guys notice the way that the lawyer responded to Jesus? Let's look at the verses 36 and 37 again. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The obvious answer is the Samaritan, right? That's not what the lawyer says. He said, the one who showed him mercy. He's referring to the Samaritan, but it's almost like he he can't say Samaritan. He's a really generic identifier, the one. The one who shows him mercy. Why is he doing that? Do you guys remember the type of people Samaritans were when we were talking about like our people and those people? They're sinners. They're outcasts. They're, they're enemies of the Jews. So Jesus is showing this lawyer an example of someone he hates as the one showing love. That's, think, of, think of your version of those people. Think of the people that really get under your skin You just can't stand. And somehow a professor, a friend, a parent tells the analogy and says, you follow their example of love. That that gets under your skin. You're like, I can't imagine them like that. And when Jesus is saying that, he's essentially saying that it's not just you Jews, not just us Jews, that can fulfill God's law of neighborly love. Samaritans can do it too. If you show this kind of love that the Samaritan does, then, then you're fulfilling in part. You're, you're representing, you're doing part of what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. That would make him angry. The laws, were, the laws were clear. Samaritans had broken many of them. And now Jesus is saying... That he's an example of fulfilling that second command to require to that's required to have eternal life to inherit eternal life. Now this is showing also that the lawyer is asking the wrong question because Jesus then goes in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man? Now that wasn't the lawyer's original question, was it? He was asking, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, who proved to be a neighbor? That's the real question, isn't it? Are you being a neighbor, Jesus is asking the lawyer. Are you a neighbor? Are you able to love someone that you hate? This Samaritan, he helped a Jewish man and the Jewish man probably wouldn't have done the same for him. He wasn't required to do the same for the Samaritan. Because there are sinners. He doesn't have to care for him. He doesn't have to show neighborly love for him. But he sees a man in need and he helps. Are you living up to that? Are you are you a neighbor? Am I a neighbor? Are we able to do what is required to inherit eternal life? Are we able to love that way? Love the people who hate us in that way? If that's the kind of love that's required to inherit eternal life, y'all, I'm, hel- I'm hopeless. I can't do that if someone hated my gut so much to leave me on the side of the road when I'm in need, and I knew that for a fact. And that seems to be what Jesus is trying to get at. It seems like Jesus is expressing this really high bar of what it means to be, to have neighborly love, to show the lawyer, hey, guess what? You can't reach that bar. No matter how well you know the law, No matter how hard you try, you can't fulfill it. You're trying to find loopholes to figure out how you can. If I can just separate the people that I have to love, then I can fulfill this command. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not how it works. There's no loopholes. You can't fulfill those commands completely and inherit eternal life. You can't do it. So why is Jesus, why would Jesus be doing that? He's trying to show the lawyer, you need help. You can't fulfill the law. You need another to fulfill it on your behalf. It's the same for us, y'all. We can't reach that bar. We might be lucky. We We might do it once, you know. We might... You know, grit our teeth and help that one person in class that, man, we, we know that they're just slacking. <laughs> man, why should I help them with this assignment? Why would I, why would I give them cash? Why would, I, why would I sacrifice? Why would I inconvenience myself? We might do it a couple times. And if we're real good people, we might make a habit of it. But then we wouldn't even be doing it out of love, we'd probably be doing it out of obligation, right? We can't do it. And that's why God sent Jesus. That's why Jesus came. We couldn't do what God required of us to fulfill the law. We couldn't do what we needed to to inherit eternal life. So Jesus came. God in the flesh, He lived just like you and me, y'all. Here's a little baby. He was four months old, like Adeline, little baby Jesus. We love baby Jesus, right, in Christmas. (laughs) He grew up. He had siblings. He had friends. He had a job. He did all the things that normal humans do back then, except one. He didn't sin. He wasn't loveless ever. He wasn't selfish ever. He lived a perfect, faultless life. He was the ultimate neighbor. Everything he did, it flowed out of a heart of love and care every single moment of his life. And maybe he didn't seem that way all the time. Sometimes love isn't always fluffy and nice. It didn't seem that way to Pharisees when he called them out for being, you know, hypocrites. And when he was Confusing lawyers. But everything he did was a perfect, complete fulfillment of loving God and loving his neighbor as himself. And that was even true when he was being betrayed in the middle of the night, being handed over to some guards where he's then falsely accused of things that he never did put on a bogus, unjust trial that people were just lying and just trying to make him look guilty when he did none of it. He was beaten, humiliated. Every punch that was thrown, he loved that person punching him. He was forced to walk to the place of his death. And then even on the cross, even as he can see these people laughing at him, he's humiliated on the cross. They're scorning him. They say, get off of the cross if you're the son of God. He says to to his father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Perfect love. Who does that? Who can say, God, forgive them, while they're killing him. Only one. The one who perfectly lived out loving thy neighbor. You see, Jesus, he lived the perfect life. He, he loved God. He loved neighbor. He earned eternal life. He did it. He locked it in. He did everything required to inherit it. But he was the one punished as a criminal. Murdered like he was a murderer. That doesn't make sense. That's not fair. He did it. Why did he die? He had achieved the life we all were supposed to achieve, yet received the punishment that we all deserve to receive. Why? Let's read a couple verses from a different part of the Bible. Romans 8, 3-4. It's Paul writing to their church in Rome. For God has done, let me get that on screen, I'll just wait real quick, is it there? Nope, all good. Um, just listen close, friends, this is good, this is real good. Uh, Romans 8.3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. We couldn't do what was required of the law. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Moral of the story, Jesus did what we couldn't do so that what he did was ours. Jesus chose to receive the punishment we deserve so that he could, we could receive the life he achieved so that he could give us eternal life. Jesus inherited eternal life because of the life he did. His death and resurrection made his fulfillment of God's laws our own for all of us who profess Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And Jesus loved the way God required so now we can actually love people the way we ought. And he helps us to do that. He gives us neighborly love for others. And one of the ways he helps us is he actually gives us his own spirit within us as believers to empower us and enable to love the people that it's real hard to love. Jesus inherited eternal life for us and gives us neighborly love for others. Jesus inherited eternal life for us and then also gives us neighborly love for others. We now have access to this eternal life of joy and peace and wholeness. We have the opportunity to live that life starting now, going on to eternity. And then Jesus also gives us love for others so that they can experience Jesus in eternal life, too. So what does that mean for you guys today? What does that mean for me today? Well, some of us here, we're struggling to believe in Jesus, right? We don't know if we can get behind the Bible. But my guess is you want to be a loving person, right? I'm sure you've been tracking with me that loving your neighbor as yourself is a good thing, and the world would be better off if we could all get behind it. But how is it going? How are you doing with that? Are you doing it the way you desire to? Are you even doing it the way that you kind of expect other people around you to do it as well? I know for me, I got burnt out when I tried to. I tried to care and love for people in my own strength. I tried and I tried, but I was, I'm weak-willed, and I'm selfish. And I felt condemned because I could never be good enough at it. I knew I wasn't measuring up. And if you've ever felt the way that I have, that I still sometimes do, there's hope. Jesus inherited eternal life for you. Just admit that you need him. Admit that you need a greater source of love than that's in you to love people the way that you ought to. Turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus. If you don't know how to do that, talk to someone that you know loves Jesus. Let them tell you about the gospel more. For us that know Jesus, love Jesus, we see a couple things um, from the, good Samaritan that are good markers for neighborly love. And let's just get real practical, shall we? Let's think about this weekend. Let's think about this weekend with the fall retreat. How can we show neighborly love to each other this weekend? Maybe there's someone in this room or someone that's gonna be there this weekend that you've kind of put into those people category that you're like, I can't be by them. Whether it's because of what you think they think or what you think they believe. You've just written them off. Maybe you need to go say hello. Maybe you need to ask them, how are you doing in life? You know, life is crazy. (laughs) College is crazy. College is hard. College in this season's real tough with the world the way it is. How are you doing? How are you doing with Jesus? Maybe you just need to humanize them. Neighborly love humanizes people and sees them as just like us, people in need of Jesus, right? And then neighborly love is also sacrificial and it accepts inconvenience. I mean, it'd be inconvenient to do that. I'm sure a lot of you guys this weekend that are going, you're pumped to hang out with your people, right? You're pumped to hang out with your crew. Definitely do that. Enjoy that time. But maybe you also need to get out of your comfort zone and just talk to people. Now, it's hard. It's hard to do that when you think even about the weekend, but then it's also tough when you think in the future, when you have to, like, go back to school, go to work, and you're thinking through, like, those people that you don't want to love. But, God, but Jesus wants to give you love for them. He wants to help you. This is something that should be done in community. So if you're not in community, you know, if you're not in a connection group, Guys, get into a connection group. We need people pointing us back to Jesus. We need people to help us in this. Because this is just, it's not easy loving the people we don't like. What would it look like if this were true of us? If we sought this out in our lives? It would look like a lot more people being in this room because they, they realize, oh, you know, I don't have to agree with everything that people agree with to come to Salt Company. You know, I'm not going to be judged for these beliefs that I have or thoughts. Like, I can be welcomed in by people that don't agree with me. Salt Company isn't full of just hypocrites. We're all broken. We're all messy. But they're, they admit that. They're just real about who they are. They're just real about just being people that need Jesus too. Imagine what God could do through us, y'all. Motivated by the love that Jesus has shown us, winning eternal life on our behalf, and then sending us out with that love that he's shown us. It'd be awesome. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Um, Lord, you have been changing our lives through your word, through your gospel. and You're not done with us yet. The bar is so high for us, Jesus, and you met it on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we are accepted by the Father. He, he welcomes us with open arms because of your work on the cross. He loves us. He doesn't judge us any longer. We're blameless before him. We are accepted. We are his children. You're such a good God for bringing us to the Father. Now help us to love people in just a little way like you have loved us, Jesus. We need you. We can't do it alone. We love you, Lord. Amen.